welcome to Agile in Toronto at Night, a badass Agile show. This is where you have exclusive access behind the scenes into the conversations and ideas of the greatest minds in the best Agile community in the world, right here in Toronto. My first guest is Jason Little, author of Lean Change Management and the founder of the Lean Change Management Association and Spark the Change Toronto. On top of all that, he's a drummer and a great guy. Please welcome Jason Little. So come on in, we saved you a spot at the table. Jason, how's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to see you. Yes. Hey, what are you drinking? Uh, some Northern Harvest. Nice. I'm opening a Belgian <laughs> Moon myself. I'm a wheat guy. I guessed you were going to do beer. Nah, I had enough of that last night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, my friend. Good mm. to see you. So, Jason, what's up with you? funny that uh, not the the main thing that's different for me is there's people home while I'm working now because I've been working at home for myself for so long right that, uh, it's just it's actually gotten much much busier because I've been doing remote stuff um, for quite a while doing remote training remote coaching so it was wasn't a whole big stretch for me to, to kind of adjust to what's going on right How about you? so not new for you but it's for me it's the same thing but it's who are all these people in my office type deal yeah and when can i get rid of them but <laughs> for me it's you know what first of all thanks for being the first person to join me on this little adventure called agile in toronto at night mm. um, i'm really stoked to be meeting one-on-one -on -one with all the people all the great minds from the toronto community so thanks for going first brother i appreciate that yeah no problem um what's new for me is it's more at this point the focus is for me less on coaching long term with individual clients and i'm focusing more on where are the pockets of help that people need right now in this moment like it just seems like at this at this time everyone needs to pivot mm -hmm. so teaching that aspect of what we do is more important than let's say raising up an army of scrum masters or teaching agile within a corporation so which mm -hmm. which brings me to something that i'm interested because your perspective is unique is you really not a scrum trainer or a scrum coach so much as you you've been specializing in change management the last yes. little bit so i know everyone in toronto's read your book lean change management which i love it's I've used it many many times what how did you just a personal question how did you get from being the agile dude to being the, the lean change guy I think it, it was a natural transition and I've seen lots of Agile folks go through a, a similar path too where you, you reach a point when you just realize that, oh, Agile has nothing to do with what I'm being asked to help with. Mm -hmm. And it's it's all about change and context. And the, the trigger was, um, I think one of my first enterprise gigs 12, 13 years ago, whenever it was, running into that wall so getting hauled into the office of the PMO director and the senior manager of development and they said hey we want to do this agile stuff on this project but we don't want agile to get in the way and uh, <laughs> the, the awesome answer that, that I gave them was well there's only four, four values which one should I throw away right and uh, they, they should have thrown me out but they, they didn't <laughs> they should have what did they say or did they just um, kind of raise their eyebrows I, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, whenever you 
answer a question with, oh, that's not agile. You can't do that. You have to just be agile and, and change right. your mindset. People's, their eyes glaze over and right. they're just like, yeah, whatever. Um, it's our ass on the line if this goes to hell. So just don't screw it up. Mm-hmm. Was really what they were saying. And it w- opened up this whole big enterprise behind them. So I started poking around. But I, I mean, that's brilliant though, because the the one thing that goes wrong, if something goes wrong on an agile initiative, which in large enterprise it always does, it's the resistance to change that's the first suspected culprit. Yes. So what's your approach to, what is your approach to overcoming that? Um, I've never been a fan of the term and I see it as, as input into a decision, not so much something that has to be overcome. Good point. Um, it's more... If you have apathy, that's worse because nobody cares. Mm -hmm. If you have what people call active resistance, like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that, or passive resistance, which is the, you know, I'm gonna totally go do the opposite Mm -hmm. when we're done this Agile meeting. um, That's data to tell you that not the right time for the change, not the right approach. Something else is going on that you have to go and dig up. It's not uh, wrestle people into sub- to submission with uh, a Newtonian approach to change, mm-hmm. which maybe that worked in the 80s, 90s, um, but not anymore. Now we're just, we're in a different, a different world. I couldn't agree more. It's, I mean, being a different approach to change is so essential, but that brings up what's happening in our city. I mean, just to date this episode, it's May, 2020. So we're in mm-hmm. the thick of coronavirus. So, so tell me what's your take on what's happening right now and how we as a Toronto community are supposed to best respond to it. What's your take? I think it's it's similar to conversations that I've been having with people uh, all over the world. And, you know, I had a really good one uh, with some folks in South America where they're kind of believing that this is a good opportunity to return to community. Mm. So um, I joined a, a Lean Coffee um, down there a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying, "Yeah, it just it seems like we open up calls with how are you doing? We talk about family, we talk about friends, we talk about the kids. We make a more meaningful connection mm-hmm. instead of just saying, "How you doing? Okay, great. So about those TPS reports, right? It's not office uh, it, space. You just yeah. quoted office space, dude. That yeah. Works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, keep going." So it's it's more um, a return to humanity, mm. a return to focusing on uh, meaningful change. And I learned, you know, probably five, six years ago that um, the biggest impact I was making in organizations was with individuals. Mm. Uh, if you're working in, you know, a big bank or telecom or any enterprise that's in a stable industry that's an agalopoly, are they really going to change all that much um, is helping them with some agile stuff gonna really make a dent in the in the culture uh and what i found is more than likely it's actually showing waking people up to a different way of working and they're like well screw this i'm not going to stay in this company i'm going to go somewhere else that actually does this Mm -hmm. so it's just you know the the focus on more meaningful change and, and helping people see that they do have choice and there's a different purpose they can pursue and if the organization wants to move towards purpose over profit Awesome. If not, that's okay too, but let's just be congruent about that. So I always say, I know I'm doing my job well if somebody somewhere quits. Yeah. Because either I've inspired them to do differently, they figured out that they're locked into a job that they took for one reason, but that reason has changed, or the, the organization's just not growing with them. 
So yep. very often, if people really latch on to what I'm talking about, they realize that they don't fit in some of the large scale enterprises and want to move into something that's definitely more agile. So talk mm. more, a little bit more. I'm interested in your thoughts on this way of working. I feel like so much of Scrum, and this is not a dig on the community, so much of Scrum and Agile is the procedures and the processes. Mm -hmm. And how do I do stand-ups better? And how do I do this better? And what really should a product owner be doing with their time? And I think after a moment, we get too laser focused on A, process, and B, Agile as a framework for doing technology stuff. When in mm -hmm. reality, I believe that it should be everywhere. Now, what I'm seeing right now is people are saying, uh, okay, I'm a, I'm a law office. I'm an accounting office. I have to switch, pivot, go digital. I got to do different things. And the way that we start thinking about helping those people is in and of itself an agile thing. Zero to do with technology. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Um, I think just given much of the emphasis here at least is enterprise mm -hmm. um, we see a bit of a distorted picture because there's right. tens of millions of companies around the world and we focus on five of them that uh, are using big process right uh, and I think it's a natural um, approach to take when you're thrown into these types of systems uh, you know I've seen I've seen agile coes with five levels of hierarchy right in right. Them. Uh, and then they have a counterpart. They have an innovation stack of hierarchy. I, I'm starting to see, you know, business agility VPs. So now they've got three stacks of hierarchy, all competing for kind of the similar type of work, right? If you will. And they've already had existing process improvement ones. So it's kind of like uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jurgen Desmet, likes to say: for every blah blah problem, we create blah blah hierarchy. Right. <laughs> That's very true. Now, you bring up a good point because I know that you get to teach and preach all over the world. A lot of your remote work is in, I, I would even call it some of the more forward-thinking areas of agility, whether it's Eastern Europe or what have you. And you do, I would assume, less for, for Toronto-based companies at the moment. Is that mm -hmm. fair? Yep. So what are some things, some mindsets and practices that you're seeing that you're helping evolve in your practice that we should be bringing to some of our you know, Toronto is very much a financial core, big traditional city, so we have a lot of head offices here. What are some of the practices and mindsets you think we should be adopting? The the patterns I see the most elsewhere is, one, there is an internal full-time employee, and I'll put in air quotes, change person, and that might be an agile coach, it might be an OD person, whoever, um, but they're like a golden retriever. Everybody loves golden retrievers. Mm. They just have this magnetic personality that they're so focused on how awesome it would be to transform our organization that it just infects everybody else. And right. every other place I've seen, it's been somebody who is full-time and they're in the company and they have strong relationships across multiple levels uh, of the organization. Is that the differentiators, the relationships? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, that's how things have always got done and that's the things always will get done uh, right. you, I, how many times have you seen um, in organizations that you're you're working in or coaching eight months later somebody comes to you and goes you know what uh, Chris I think we should uh, try XYZ yeah. and you're like that's a great idea if you would have listened to me eight months ago <laughs> right right 
it takes somebody inside to, to carry that. And it's not, you know, they don't have the courage to challenge the status quo. They're just so genuine in their love of making things better for people. And they focus on the relationships and they balance the organizational needs at the same time. Um, and they just have this way of, of elevating people around them to a different level. Now, who should that person be? Because I have a funny feeling that it will start with, and you know, the easy candidate is an organizational change management person that's pre-existing. Is that the right person, the wrong person? Um, I, I think it's somebody, uh, from what I've seen, it's either been somebody in an OCM group uh, or um, an Agile coach or somebody in HR, but somebody who uh, is well-connected to different pockets of the organization. They have good relationships on the IT and the business side. Right. Um, they're just seen as being very helpful and not an evangelist and preachy, but passionate. Mm. Um, and they usually have the ear of a top leader. Uh, in every case, uh, right. it's just been somebody, you know, it's been like a personal assistant to the prime minister. You know, they don't, they're not in any type of power position but they have such a great relationship and um, they're just very sharp and forward thinking, but not losing sight of uh, near term. And, um, it's very intangible. Okay. Is, yeah. Does that relationship with the senior person, the, the assistant to the PM, as you call it, does that help the top down drive while the bottom up drive is simultaneously bubbling and gathering steam? Yeah, they're like the glue. I like to mm. also call them the white space worker. Nice. They're the ones that know how to bring the people from the... They understand they're facilitating and orchestrating and coordinating, but they're not owning the work. So they're they're able to kind of squash that hierarchy and bring the top and the bottom together to uh. have the right conversations at the right time. Okay. Um, but they're not the ones actually doing it and deciding what to do. They, they just have a way of... Um, kind of bridging those the, those high status differentials, if you will. Mm -hmm. Okay. And why do you think we don't have that as a practice, that person, that role? Why do you think we don't do that here? I, I think uh, it's it's more of an industry thing as opposed to a regional thing. It's if you look at, um, you know, suppose you're transforming Amazon. Does Amazon really need to do anything differently? Not really. Right. Um, they're always going to make a gazillion dollars. Um, you could make the same argument for Agalopolis. Do, do the big six really have to do anything fundamentally different? Right. I mean, I, I still have to fricking walk into a branch to do a, a wire transfer. Yeah. With one of them. I'm like, Jesus, it's not 1981 anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so I don't like to use the urgency word because urgency is just, it creates this stress. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you go, what's the compelling reason? Right. Yeah, by, by contrast, one of the uh, banks uh, overseas, um, they're very open about their, their, their purpose is the financial well-being of the region they serve. Uh, and they see their transformation as a generational change, not a project. Right. It, it is probably the biggest difference. Like they I know like it's going to be... I'm the CEO, I'll be retired when we're halfway through because mm -hmm. that's just what it is. Um, but we're gonna set the boat down in that right direction and we're gonna incrementally um, change things as we move along with a different focus on purpose. So I like that and I know that everyone listening, especially our friends in Toronto are gonna hear that, they're gonna say, okay, 
I'm bought in, but I need a way. You know, when we say purpose over profit, all anyone's going to hear is the over profit part. And they're going to shake their head and say, well, listen, you know, we're in the business of making money, which is a great point. But I think they're missing some of the nuance of that statement. How do you explain that? To an executive, if you're if you're helping this this change, what was the role? Did you have a name for that role? The the change leader, the embedded change leader. It's no, it's no, usually okay. usually change manager. Okay, so just if the glue. Just to, yeah. We call them the glue, the right, the white the space, white space worker, white space worker. Yeah. yeah. So how do we get how do we get them to send the right message to the executive team to say, yeah, it's it's meaningful to change to purpose based work rather than solely profit based work. How do you how do you quote unquote sell that for lack of a better word? Um, for me, it's it's demonstrating that more as the attitude. So you know, getting the uh, the response of well, we have to have profit. Um, then you know you're talking to a binary thinker mm-hmm. because it's not a binary choice. It just means, uh, you know, the last real job I had, um, we were moved to one corner of the building and the quote-unquote junior person in my department uh, was in a, obviously, like they put that person in a crappy spot mm-hmm. and I had like a window and corner spot and all this type of you stuff. You got a I'm window? Like, do, do you want to just, do you want to switch? Like, I yeah. don't care. And we got in so much trouble for that. Really? It, so when you go to purpose over profit, it's just leave your employees alone and let them do what you hired them to do. Right. Right. Let them uh, manage their own time. Uh, let them self-organize. Like decide where the right line is, where you you have the right enabling constraints that at least let people know what's in and out of bounds. Mm. Um, but give them a good work environment. Right. Right. And support them. So it seems like, to me, right now, the time is ripe. Like, at the moment, people are willing to make changes because they're suffering from uncertainty. They're struggling with existential threat. They're open to trying stuff. They're open to taking a little bit of calculated risk. What do you see happening next because of this crisis? Where do you think we need to go? I think it is a any... Um, social interruption such as this is a really good opportunity to intentionally redesign um, your organizations. Uh, there's a few medium-ish sized companies that uh, I follow their their CEOs on Twitter mm-hmm. and a handful of them are like, you know what? We don't need an office anymore. My lease is up and yeah. I'm not renewing. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's now proof that this can actually work. Uh, so I think it, it, it's a really good opportunity to show that companies that have had anti-work-at-home policies are realizing that they're, it's not hurting anything. Right. Pe- people will always do the right thing when given a choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we focus on, in a thousand-person department, two people that will work around the system, and we put constraints and rules in place for the worst-case scenarios right. to make it harder for everybody else. Right. Um, one place I worked um, uh, here in the area, one of the developers was working on something and uh, they couldn't work at home and he was sick. So he he got some code like emailed to him so he could work on it while he was at home right. and got put on a performance review. Wow. And that's just ass backwards in right. my view. That is here. You've got somebody here who just desperately wants to finish something because he committed to it and you right. punish him for it. Right. So now we can kind of help people intentionally design their organizations 
um, because we have time to breathe. Yeah. And I, f- I feel that if we just let people try it, they'd see the difference. They'd see that you don't have to uh, monitor your workers. I saw you comment on something on LinkedIn where there was a, um, a discussion of the various tracking tools, right? You're working remotely, so they have these apps that'll track your keystrokes and your, your mouse clicks and mm-hmm. how much time you are versus are not spending at the keyboard. And it's just the wrong direction. Like you've completely missed the point of modern work. People want to do purposeful work and they can be trusted to do it as long as they're aligned and reasonably honest, right? Yeah. So aside from work from home, are you seeing any other paradigm changes because of what we're going through? Um, I think the push is going to happen two ways because plenty of people uh, that I've talked to uh, privately are starting to question if they really do need to stay where they're at. Ah. And so these are people that have been in places for a long time uh-huh. and they've, they like their job, but they don't love it. And now they're thinking, you know, is this really what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Do I really want to crank out widgets or yeah. should I go, you know, work for a food bank and build software for them? Right. Right. Um, so I think it's, there, there's going to be more pressure on employers to provide more meaningful stuff for pe- for people to do. Right. What about you? Does it change anything for you in terms of much. what you focus on? No, because I've been on this trajectory for a while. So I yeah. haven't, I just, uh, I decided I put a bunch of uh, industries and companies in a bucket and said, it's a hard no to any of that because right. that's not really um, helping leave the world better than I found it. It's right. necessary stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of people go, why are you so hard on enterprises and blah, blah, blah. Um because it's just not for me right those those businesses obviously serve a purpose um you know the, the big six banks run how what percentage of the canadian economy like 40 percent of it I, or something I, I was gonna say it's 40 something yeah yeah so that's obviously always going to be necessary it's just right. not the environments that i want to be in because history has shown when i go in those environments people wake up and they quit and i right. can't Right, I've seen three instances: entire agile coaching teams within a year uh, up and walked out. Yeah, because they realized that they could find something that was more aligned with their purpose. So mm-hmm. I can't go into an organization and not be transparent that yeah. the people who love working this way are the first people who are going to leave, and they're the first people that you need the most. Exactly. And it's interesting. I think you're pushing a rock uphill by working there too, in the sense that if you want to make meaningful impact, you like to be able to do it as many times in a year as you possibly can. And every time you join a new organization where they're not quite ready and you're fighting the, the political slope and you're fighting some of those other, you know, those sticky factors that make our job harder to do, you, you know, you enjoy life less. You're stressing out over the wrong things. You're not making the meaningful impact that you want to make. Mm-hmm. Here's what. Yeah. Here's a question I have for you because I'm a big believer in unique voice. So everything I built, I built because I said I have a very narrow audience. I'm shouting at, you know, the anti-framework folks. I'm shouting at the people who basically started out in the development boiler room, and all of a sudden someone said, ah, "There's this thing called agile. Here, go lead." And then they had no leadership tools or skills. So I had a very unique intersection of people that I was speaking to. That created a unique voice that, for me, has paved the way. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was never stuck in a traditional Scrum Agile 
coaching scrum master type career. What about you? How did you go from learning about agile to becoming Jason Little, author of Lean Change Management, world-renowned speaker, coach, and so on? World-renowned, that's awesome. Yeah, you, oh, you know it, you know it. Cheers. Don't play me. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> it, it was... Um, I, there's there's lots of people that just love uh, solving problems, mm-hmm. and you know I grew up um, yeah in a family where my dad could solve any problem and fix anything. Interesting. What did he you do? Know? Just out of curiosity, he, he was a boilermaker welder, ah. and um, we you know I remember we were over at my grandparents' place and the the engine on his 1980 Ford Bronco needed mm-hmm. to be changed and. In the wintertime, they got the garage door open, and there they are, swapping his engine out. Yeah, uh, and not stopping until it's done. Yeah. So just just the the curiosity to, to take something through to the end, um, and knowing that there's always something else out there that you can find is is kind of what drove it. So when I hit that wall, like I mentioned the first time, it was something else is going on here. Yeah. Um, and then when you get into things like. I think agile people have learned this by now, but um, oh, we don't do uh, status reports anymore. That's not agile. We do standups. Yeah. But when you've got when that balloons out to like 18 different stacks of hierarchy and rolls up to portfolios and eventually up to the board, eventually somebody doesn't get what they're expecting and then they come down and kill it. Right. So it's the the willingness to to be aware of the enterprise and know that it's bigger than um, just one solitary team. Like there's, there's other things going on that other people need in the organization and we need to go find what those things are right. and why they're important and then challenge whether they are actually important or not. Right. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to say you shouldn't use a scaling framework. You should descale your organization. Ooh. Okay. Well, who, who decides to fire a thousand people? Mm-hmm. Oh, just build a new product. You know, the, the, just the, I got so sick of the bullshit, easy answers. Right. Uh, I had to go elsewhere. So I uh, started looking at uh, Images of Organization by Gareth Morgan um, and other organizational design and development uh, areas that just poked into uh, this whole world of stuff that's been around for centuries, ever since mm-hmm. people started to organize into groups and trade corn and wheat. Like the, these ideas are as old as the universe. Right. Uh, how can we take them and wrap them in an agile context um, so we can speak the language of the people in the organization for what what matters to them and how do they move forward instead of just you know you're not agile enough you got to change your mindset kind of nonsense right when you speak about some of the wisdom that's old as time that's one thing i've noticed too is that the answers for great leadership for great team organization there's nothing new under the sun but it seems like so few people are willing to do the things that are necessary to make them real. Do you encounter that? Uh, I think some of it is just a, a consequence of our society uh, where Google knows everything. So, mm. you know, you don't really need to have a deep understanding of stuff because you can Google it and get a good enough answer okay. nowadays. Okay. Uh, part of it is everyone has to market themselves somehow. So they need right. some differentiator. That's why there's 10 million different types of change uh, models and processes out there. And sometimes that gets in the way. Um, uh, one of my favorite books is The Social Life of Information. And um, a, a quote from John Seeley Brown is, 
paradoxically, the, the way forward is not to look ahead, but to stop and look around. Mm-hmm. And a that lot of agile people suffer from chasing car syndrome right. um, because they're always in the early adopter curve, so they're always looking for By the time they catch it, it takes the rest of the mainstream another two, three years to catch up. So we uh-huh. keep trying to invent new things faster right. um, to solve the problem, uh, and organizations just can't keep up. So let's stop and look around. Like Let's look at the Rockefeller habits from Vern Harnish, which is... 30 years old now let's yeah. look at 12 week year let's look at uh, Tom Peters work in search of excellence which was from 1980 um, Southwest in 1974 when they had to sell one of their four planes and the story of how they uh, design intentionally designed the company the way it is today which is they they think of themselves as a, a biological living entity and they run themselves that way mm-hmm. Uh, so it's already out there. We just have to uh, look around for it instead of trying to add something new on top of an already kind of messy pile. That's the point I was getting at is we're always trying to add something new, like a level of complexity, because it almost seems all too easy. Stop, sit still, look around. The wisdom is there. Do what makes the most sense. Stick with the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder if sometimes we're not too clever for our own good, but then I think sometimes the problem is we're so, as a society now, so centered on the me. And I'm not even sure it's Google that's the biggest problem we have. It may be more like the social media where everything is focused on your little echo chamber and your Mm -hmm. narrow view of the world that makes it so difficult to say, actually, there's a different way of doing things. There's a better way of doing things. Jump on board the change. Yeah, and it's the same in every community. Like I've I've been yeah, in the change and HR and OD communities for I don't know six, seven, eight yeah. years that have been poking around there, and they have the same thing because you, you get the same change people with the same ideas and models and attitude, um, wanting to keep it kind of inside of their sphere of influence. Right. And it's the same with the Agile camp and all the sub camps like Kanban and Scrum. Mm-hmm. And, XP and, and right. all these different things. Everybody's got their thing that they like the most. Right. And, and, and this is how humans are in general. It's mm-hmm. the same with gamers, right? They're the PlayStation people hate the Xbox people. The Xbox people hate the PlayStation people. That's a good point. It's just we've got our things and we like our we like to hold on to our things. So I've really morphed. It's funny saying that because people are going to be listening to this going, well, wait a minute, you invented blah, blah, blah. So yeah, and the amount of time and uh, effort I spend on pointing people towards already existing ideas and say, like, don't use any of my stuff. Go look at this thing over here or go mm-hmm. look at MIT's organizational change thing. Don't come to mind. Go somewhere else um, is the intent. It's like the, uh, the switchboard operator or the air traffic controller. Right. You know, you, you kind of sit on top of something and you know enough about this whole ecosystem that if somebody's coming to you for something, you can go, you know what, my stuff's just not a good idea. Uh, you should go look at this because it's perfect. Well, I mean, think there's so much brilliance in that statement because if you think about it, one of the problems we have with agile scaling is that we're trying to make it go everywhere in an organization and work to solve every problem when even agilists will tell you it's not a magic bullet, nor is it supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I have a question that's, I'll shift gears for a sec. How do you go from being a drummer to doing what you do? It was drummer, right? Yes. Yeah. How do you go from being a drummer to doing what you do? Is there a linkage? 
Um, no, not really. I think it was just uh, career progression and f family and kids got in the way. Of Desire to make money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still yeah. play? You still play? Oh yeah, yeah, much, much, much more over the last few years. Put out a few records over the last uh, couple of years. Un under what name? Uh, Clever Weapon. Clever Weapon. Do people know this about you? Do you tell people about this when you're running a running a show? Not usually. I mean, if people discover it, it's there. Like I'll post some stuff on Twitter every once in a while or, I like or retweet stuff, but. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, and funny, I, uh, some people give me shit for it. They're like, oh, you shouldn't be posting this, or you shouldn't swear on Twitter, and uh -oh. you should put this professional thing. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I, I'm me. <laughs> well, but <laughs> that's, that's the, the problem with the world. <laughs> that's the unique voice thing, baby. You, you can't, it, you know, people want you to follow their rules for a certain reason. You got to do what you do, and if you did it any different way... It wouldn't be it wouldn't be meaningful. It wouldn't be interesting. There's so much sameness in the world right now. It's almost you know, go in the different direction. Do what do what other people are failing to do. I really yeah. admire that. I like that a lot. Yeah. And um, what's driving you nuts right now about not being able to get out? Like, do you miss the Toronto? I know you're not exactly Toronto core. Are you a little west of the city? Yeah, just uh, Oakville. Oakville, right, right. So, were you ever a downtowner? Did you ever live right downtown? Probably the closest was High Park area. Well, that's close. That's close. Yep. Anything yep. you miss about being on the scene downtown, you know, the big clients and the, you know, the big 50, 50th floor view, that kind of stuff? I think uh, what I liked about enterprises was just there was, you know, a year working in an enterprise was five years worth of experience. Yes. Because you're connected to so many different types of teams in software, outside of software, um, that it, the, it's not like being an agile coach in an organization with five teams, which mm -hmm. is fairly boring in my view. It yeah. can be fun for a little bit, but you should be out of there pretty quick. But yeah. in an enterprise, there's so many places you can uh, poke around and experiment um, and, and connect people. Uh, that's always fun. Yeah. Um, definitely the food, though. Yeah, where did you like I, to I, go? I miss, I miss being downtown and just having enough uh, exposure to all the different... Uh, do you have uh, a different, different favorite places. place or a favorite neighborhood or a favorite kind of food in Toronto? Oh, I can't remember the name of the place. It's uh, just northwest of Simcoe, Simcoe Place. There's a really good Greek uh, restaurant. and um, Simcoe Place. Was it right next to the Metro, Metro Town Hall? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know it too. It's a giant place that has an outdoor patio and it's connected to Metro Hall basically. Yeah, yeah. Was it, was it Penelope's? No. It might be. I have to look that one up. I'll look that one up. We'll put it in the show notes. And there's a really good Mexican one just a few blocks west of there on, I, th I think it's just off of Spadina, like Spadina and Peter-ish. Mm, what was the name of it, you know? No, I can't remember. It, ooh. They had a, did they have a couple of them? Was, there, was it a very small chain? I don't remember hearing the name of this place. Tortilla as, Flats? As no? Else. no? No. No, okay. No. All right. If you think of it, send you send it. You can send it after the fact. But just the different, you know, uh, the whole different vibe from being in the suburbs. Yeah, but yeah. of course, at this point, no one can go anywhere. What's the first place you're going to go when everything lights back up? Oh, that's a good question. Aside from a haircut. Um, well, I can't anymore. I'm a drummer, right? I gotta leave it long. <laughs> 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 um. 
where would I go first? I'll have to come back to that one. What about you? Where, a, where would you where would you go first? That's a tough one. I, for me, it's definitely the haircut. Um, yeah. But outside of that, I think I just want to be on a patio right now, but I miss shows. Shows were the big one for me. I go probably Bud Stage is my favorite place to go see a show outdoors. Mm-hmm. It's always like medium size, like two to 5,000 people, not Scotiabank Arena size, you know? Mm-hmm. And catch, like I saw Lenny Kravitz there last year. Good, like famous acts, but you can get up nice and close. Iron Maiden played there and uh, we were in the pit. So I miss the outdoor shows. I miss the concert scene in Toronto. So if anything, it's got to be like the Phoenix or a place like that and catch a good show. Yeah, that's a good point. I think mine would probably be the same. Either either that or band practice. There's there's a public spaces that we we practice at every. And you can't go now, right? That we haven't been able. To, no, oh, we're just shoot. we're recording at home. So I've been helping everybody get all their stuff set up so we can. We had to cut our last record short by one song because the the lockdown hit just when we were had two more parts to record for it. So oh, that sucks. Been trying to release it with the last one. To well, put I can't. Out as a hey, single. I can't wait to hear it. So the name of the band again is. Can you repeat it one more time? Uh, Clever Weapon. Clever Weapon. You have a website. Yep, cleverweapon.com. Oh, perfect. So everyone, yep. go there and check out Jason. Man, you got to support <laughs> your local music scene. Jason, anything else coming up for you? What are you working on? What do you? Um, what's uh, happening for you that you want the world to know about? Uh, I next um, week from Monday, so May twenty fifth, I'm starting my next coaching agile transitions with Lean Change cohort. Mm. Uh, so I've been running these for about you know, probably three or four years, and small class sizes. I don't like to have more than ten. Got it. And. Um, there's, I've got 48 facilitators now worldwide, and there's about 15 of them that are running uh, the virtual ones wow. as well. And now it's available in Spanish too, which I don't speak, so I just refer that to the. So the, you the you have a cadre of of facilitators who do the the workshop for you. Yes, man, that's yeah. great. Congratulations on the success. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Who's the ideal audience? Who should go to that? Um, who who should definitely go to this course, and who should skip out? Um, if you've been working in the organizational layer as an agile coach uh, for a number of years, it's probably too introductory. I'd, I would say go to um, Michelle Medor and Michael Spade's um, uh, Integral Agile three-day mm-hmm. course, which is fantastic because uh, it's a much, much deeper spiral dynamics and um, their Integral Agile model. Okay. Uh, if you're newer to Agile, and what I find is a lot of change people who've been kind of thrown into the Agile space, like sink or swim, right. you're a change person, you can do an Agile transformation, and they're like, what the hell's Agile? Right. Um, the course is a really good one for them, and I've had quite a few people come from that side okay. of the fence. Uh, scrum masters who want to be coaches or coaches who, are, who, who haven't been able to get to the organizational layer uh, coaching and um, organizational dynamics it's probably a good good fit for those folks too i think that's key because for coaches you know as we flood the market with certified fresh talent they're looking for ways to break through to make those relationships and to succeed at the executive level so mm-hmm. i have my own little online uh, c- uh course if you will it's a an, an immersion experience for leaders called the forge and one of the big problems that the students you know almost uniformly will say is that how do i 
have more influence and have better relationships with the leaders so that I can help accelerate change. Mm -hmm. So I think taking your course would be a great way to get that. What's one last question. What are you reading right now? If anything, uh, let my people go surfing. Um, the Patagonia book. I've heard of that. Yeah. Let my people, is that the one like the employee culture kind of the, written by the written by the, the firm leaders? Yes. Nice. How are you enjoying it? Uh, I'm only a few uh, pages in right now. I just got it last uh, Thursday. Okay. Just came, came in the mail, yeah. Enjoy it. Let us know what you think. I'm, I'm, yep. uh, I've heard about it. I'm dying to read it. Jason, thank you so much for joining today, brother. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. And I appreciate you being on the show, man. Uh, it's, it's great to make contact and good luck with everything. And let's have you back soon. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me.